Hey guys, um, can everybody hear me? I'll tell you what, Christopher, I'm going to wait for you to give me the signal. That's a signal. That looks like a thumbs up. All right. Well, I can't see everybody, but that's okay. I hope that you can hear me. Um, I know some of you can probably see me. Those of you who are on Zoom, it's good to see you here. Uh, before we get started with the sermon, <clears throat> I want to give you a quick update on Rebecca and I and uh, talk a little bit about what's going on with us. And um, so first, uh, I started feeling bad early last week and uh, tested positive for COVID on Tuesday morning. Uh, we have been very careful hoping that Becca would not get sick. She started feeling bad <clears throat> uh, last couple of days and tested positive for COVID yesterday. Uh, we are, I know that it's, it is customary. It seems like it's, um, it seems to be, um, you know, lots of times people say, you know, we have COVID, but it's real mild, no big deal. And I need to be honest with you guys. Uh, we are not, we, our lives are not in danger uh, or anything like that, but this has not been mild. This has been very challenging. Um, I'm starting to feel better. <clears throat> we both have the privilege of being prescribed Paxlovin, which has been wonderful. Uh, but we would ask for your prayers. This has been hard for us. And we would ask specifically for prayers for Becca. Uh, you, everyone, I think the news is out. Uh, Rebecca is uh, 21 weeks pregnant, and which puts her in a high-risk category, along with some other health challenges that she has. We would ask that you guys, as our church, as our church family, please pray for us. Uh, we will keep you updated the best we can, um, but we'd ask for that. <clears throat> now, I think is as good a time as any, uh, as your pastor to offer uh, a friendly reminder, uh, but also a pastoral um, charge request, if you will. Uh, I know that in many places in our society, COVID is not on our radar like it was even uh, several months ago. <clears throat> However, it is very much real. Uh, COVID does affect every single person differently. Uh, some of us have had it, and it's no big deal. Others of us have it, and it's a huge deal. Uh, so I, just a friendly reminder, uh, if you feel sick, if you have symptoms, uh, please do not come to church sick. Uh, please do not go out and hang out with people sick until you take a test, uh, until you uh, know for sure whether or not you're covid positive. This, this is more than just public health. As Christians, Jesus calls us to lay down our personal privileges and our personal liberties and rights and preferences, considering others better than ourselves. Uh, the second great commandment is that we would love each other, love each other as we love ourselves. Uh, so this, we're doing this out of worship and out of obedience to God and our care for one another. Uh, if it wasn't me who got sick, I'd still be making the announcement. 
anyone in our church, uh, something like this happens. We want to remember we are in this together, and God calls us to care for one another. So that being said, uh, I'll tell you what, let's pray, and then we will look at our scripture today and spend some time with that. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day, even right now, our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. All right, if you would, uh, I think it's page nine in the worship guide, or if you have a Bible or your phone, our text for today, which is our text for the next few weeks and last week, is John 1, 1 through 18, the prologue to the Gospel of John. If you would, and if you are able, uh, please stand for the reading of God's word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for this time. Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. 
Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, we are in week two in a series on the Gospel of John. This is going to be a long series. It takes us probably the better part of a year, if not a whole year. Over the next several weeks, we're just looking at the prologue, the first 18 verses. Last Sunday, I gave you uh, kind of an extended intro. We talked, you know, the what. What are we studying? And I told you all about John's gospel, all about John himself. Of course, you're welcome to go back and listen to that. We also talked about the why. Uh, We looked at, uh, at the very end of John's gospel, John 20. Verse 31, he makes this statement. He says, John 20, verse 30 and 31. He says, "Many Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John tells us why he writes the book. He writes the book so that people would believe in Jesus And by believing, find life in his name. That's the why. And that's why we're going to spend a year in John's gospel. Because we need to learn what it means, not just one and done, not just a conversion experience at one point in our life, but every single day, every moment to place our belief in Jesus so that we could have life. So that was last week. This week, what I want to do is I want to look at uh, an aspect of John's prologue that's foundational. In fact, it's foundational to John's whole book. And it's the fact that John introduces Jesus uh, as the word. The Greek word there that John uses, and you might know this, this is fairly well known and kind of become famous. The Greek word is logos. John starts his book, in the beginning was the Lagos. <clears throat> I want to talk about that. You know, John doesn't, inter- John talks about Jesus as the Lagos. He talks about him as the son. He talks about him as the one who is greater than John, you know, John the Baptist. John, the gospel writer, doesn't even <laughs> use the name Jesus to introduce the main character of his book until like, I think like verse 29. That's significant. Remember last week we talked about how not just what John is writing, but the way he writes. He he communicates a lot with his style. So the fact that he introduces Jesus as the logos, the word, means something significant. What is that? What are we supposed to get from that? What does it mean that Jesus is the Logos? What does that mean for the rest of the gospel? Well, that's what we're going to look at today. In the passage, in the prologue, we see Jesus referred to as the the Logos uh, directly twice. In verse 1, it says, in the beginning was the word, the Logos, the word was with God, and the word was God. And then the second time is in verse 14. The word, the logos, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. 
We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So what does it mean? What does logos mean? Well, it means word. That's why in our Bibles it's translated that way. But I want to dig into that. Logos means word. So Jesus is the word. Now, logos, let's, let's, let's talk about the Greek word. In, in John's day, in the late first century when he was writing this, when somebody said the word logos, what, uh, grammatically, what did that mean? If, if John was to open up one of his, you know, a dictionary in his day, look up logos, what, what would it say? Well, means word, but it doesn't mean word like in a, it doesn't mean like word like in a, like a linguistic grammatical sense, like, like a single word, like with letters put together. Like what we would, if you're like me and you're kind of addicted to the New York Times Wordle every day, it's not that. It's not Jesus is like a grammatical word. It's, it's word like like speech. In fact, uh, John Calvin translated this in his commentary as in the beginning was the speech uh, or the message uh, or the expression. It's more like if I were to pull you aside one day at church and say, hey, friend, come here. I have a word for you. Or can I can I have a word with you? That's the kind of word we're talking about. In the beginning was the word. Many of us are familiar with the, the Bible uh, translation, the message, kind of a paraphrased translation. It's really helpful. Well, before the message hit the scene in the 90s, uh, there was a, a contemporary conversational English Bible translation that was put out in the 50s by a British guy named J.B. Phillips. Is a friend of C.S. Lewis, and I use it uh, regularly. I really like it, and I'd recommend it to you. It's called The New Testament in Modern English by J.B. Phillips. His translation of John 1.1 is one of my favorite. I think he nails it. He puts it like this. He says, in the beginning, God expressed himself. God expressed himself. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. That's it. That's logos. That's what it would say if we go back to the Apostle John, the guy who wrote this, his day, and we opened up a dictionary to the word logos, it would say word. But that's not it. There's more nuance there that we need to be aware of. If we were to open up a dictionary in the first century and look up the word logos, it would say word. But then there would be a note. It would say, uh, there, there would be, you know how sometimes dictionaries have multiple definitions that are related? Well, it would make a note between a Greek understanding of logos and a Hebrew understanding of logos. Because the way that Hellenistic Greek, Gentile, or, or even Hellenistic Jews like 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 Philo, uh, who was a 
or Jewish Hellenistic philosophical writing around this time. The way that the Greeks used Logos was different than the way Hebrews uh, or Jewish people would use Logos. So, and both perspectives on the word Logos are important for understanding our passage. Because when John wrote this, he wasn't just writing for Jews. He was writing for Jews and Gentiles. Remember, when John, we talked about last week, when he wrote this gospel, he was pastoring probably at the church in Ephesus, a Gentile city. So what is the Greek understanding of Logos? And what is the Hebrew understanding of Logos? How are they alike? How are they different? And why does it matter? Well, um, here it is. In, in the Greek mind, in the Hellenistic, Gentile, first century, uh, Greek-speaking, or we can Roman uh, mind, Logos is uh, like the impersonal reason, force, meaning that holds everything together in the universe. It's, it's the ultimate ground of reason and logic and meaning. It doesn't come from the gods. In fact, the gods are sort of living in it as well. It's the, it's the meaning and reason that holds everything and knits everything together. Uh, this is, uh, if you're a fan of Star Trek, the original series, which if you know me, I am deeply embedded in fandom in Star Trek, the original series. Uh, this is how Spock and the Vulcans would talk about logic. It's, it's the, it's the uh, reason for everything. It's the meaning of everything. It's ultimately, uh, you know, the, the grounding of the solution for everything. That's Lagos. Today in our culture, there are remnants of this kind of thinking that go on. I don't know if you've ever said, or if you've ever heard somebody say something like, oh, well, the universe wants this particular thing to happen. Or, uh, everything's going to be okay. The universe works everything out. That kind of thinking, that comes out of, that's derivative of the Greek understanding of Logos. So that's the Greek understanding of Logos. Do you, do you have it? Do you have it in your minds? We're Western civilization, so it's, it's relatively familiar for us. Okay, that's the Greek Logos. Okay, now the Hebrew the Jewish understanding of Logos. It's very different. Um, and the Jewish understanding of Logos, the Logos isn't above the divine. It isn't knitting the divine together. Uh, no. The Logos comes from the divine. The Logos is the word of God. Uh, Logos is God's word. Now, as Christian people, as churchgoers, we should go, oh, word of God. Yeah. Well, remember when we, when we spent time in Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, we talked about how God's, talked about God's word and how he has his written word and then his living word, which is Jesus. And, but, but there's something about God's expression, God's word that's special. That's Logos and the Hebrew mind. Now, in the Hebrew mind, the Logos, the Word of God, it's eternal. 
It's always been, just like God is eternal. Uh, Isaiah 48, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord, uh, the logos of the Lord, uh, stands forever. In the Hebrew mind, the logos is creative. It's the agent of creation. Uh, uh, in the beginning, there was darkness, and then God spoke. He spoke his word. He, he said, let there be light, and there was light. Uh, it was the logos that brought creation into being, the word of God. We read uh, earlier in the service today, Psalm 33, 6, by the word by the Logos of the Lord, the heavens were made. In the Hebrew mind, the, the Logos is eternal, it's creative, it's illuminating. The Logos makes everything make sense. It's, it's, it, we need it in order to live well. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It's life-giving. Uh, Psalm 119.25, my soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your logos, according to your word. And it's relational. The logos of God, the word of God, is how God relates to human beings. God who is far away and who is uh, who is way out there, and he's the creator, we're the creatures, there's this impenetrable barrier. He reaches out to us by way of his logos. Remember the story of Abraham, the, the first person in the line of God's covenant people? I remember when we studied that, uh, uh, I guess about a year and a half ago, Genesis 15.1. After these things, the word of the Lord, the Logos of the Lord, came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, and your reward shall be very great. God initiated his covenant with Abram uh, through his Logos. So, Greek understanding, impersonal force. Uh, it's a little Star Wars-y, it's a little Star Trek-y, it's a little... Uh, the universe wants this to happen. Uh, Greek understanding. Hebrew understanding, it's the word of God. It's eternal, it's creative, it's illuminating, it's life-giving, it's relational. Uh, Hebrew understanding. So there's areas where they both agree. You know, the Logos kind of holds everything together. It's really important. Uh, uh, it's sort of this uh, stuff of life. But there's areas where they disagree. In the Greek mind, it's sort of above the gods. Hebrew mind, it's, it, it comes from uh, God. So they're different. Okay. In the book of John, in the Gospel of John, we see John in this prologue drawing from both Greek and Hebrew definitions of logos he draws from them both and he pulls them together and he shows us that jesus is the logos what's interesting is as he presents jesus as the logos he affirms 
some things in both the Greek and the Hebrew understanding of Logos. But then he confronts other things. When he introduces Jesus as the Logos, Greeks and Hebrews would sit around. I imagine maybe before he wrote this, maybe he tried this out in a sermon at the Church of Ephesus, and the Jews and Gentile Christians there together. He'd say some things, and the Gentiles would go, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, we get it. That's the Logos. And then and the Jewish Christians would go, no, that's kind of offensive. I don't get it. And then he'd say something else, and the Jewish Christians would say, oh, yeah, that's the Logos. And the Greeks would say, oh, I, I don't really understand. It's confrontational and affirming at the same time. So check it out. Um, he, he says, in the beginning was the Logos. Oh, Greeks would have said, oh, yeah, it's eternal. The Logos has always been here, of course. Um, and, and, and the Logos was with God. The Greeks would go, oh, yeah, totally. Uh, you know, before when I was a pagan, we already knew that. The Logos is always with the gods. And the Greeks would go, yeah. And the Hebrews would go, huh, wait a second. There's only one only one thing, person, being, entity, reality that was always and eternal in the beginning, and that was God himself. And yeah, his word is eternal, but his word comes from him. It's not really beside him, with him. That's, ooh, that's uncomfortable. But then John would go on and say, and the word was God. And all the Greeks would go, well, hold on. All the Greeks and the Hebrews would go, yeah, that's not, that's radically offensive. That's not right. John, John would say that, that you know, when the, the Logos is, is, is a person, you know, it's a, it's a he. Uh, the, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And um, the Greeks would go, oh, no, 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 no. That's terribly offensive. Uh, you know, we learned early on that the, the ultimate reality is not personal. That, that's, that's, that's weird. But Hebrews would go, oh, yeah, I remember that. In the book of Proverbs, it talks about God's wisdom being like a person who is with, always with God and this agent of creation. John would go on and he would say, uh, you know, the, law God, the, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And then both the Greeks and the Hebrews would go, no, this is just mind-bending. Do you see how John is, he draws from both views, both cultural definitions. He pulls aspects from both of them, but then he confronts both of them and says, no, no this is Jesus. He relates to the Gentile world, he relates to the Hebrew world, but he confronts both of these worlds. But he is the Logos. And then John goes on and he starts to affirm these things. That, he, Like he says that the Logos is, is the one through whom all things were made. Hebrews would go, yeah, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Greeks would go, yeah, yeah, I get it. It's, it's illuminating. So you see this? Okay, that's the Logos. Now. That's the what. <clears throat> That's what John is talking about when he talks about Jesus is the word. Now, 
This is our lecture, like we talked about last week. The point is not information transfer. This is a sermon. The point is worship. So how is this truth that Jesus is the Logos uh, and what that means for how it interacts with cultural definitions of the Logos? What are we supposed to do with this? today, Hope Presbyterian Church, me and you, how is this supposed to bring us to worship? Sure, we can look and we can say, okay, the Logos is Jesus. Like, I get it. What are we supposed to take away from this? What are we supposed to take away and put in our heart to make us love God and love each other more? Well, I want to point out two things. First, and, and by the way, these, these might sound a little obvious on the surface. Uh, if you can, I'd encourage you to write them down because they sound a little obvious, but, but the more you, we think about them, and I want to show you, uh, hopefully these two applications do what John was doing. They affirm some things that we might believe and feel, but they also confront us in some ways. So if you want, you can write these down. Here's the first thing. What does it mean that Jesus is the Logos? Well, it means that Jesus is the word from God. I told you it sounded obvious, but if you would, if you want, write this down. Jesus is the word from God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Uh, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we've seen his glory, the one and only son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the word from God. Let me tell you why that's actually incredibly profound. Uh, we're going to deal with this idea a little bit more um, next sermon when we, when we talk about uh, the nature of Jesus uh, or the eternal son in the Trinity and his relationship with the Father. But for now, I, 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 I want to put it this way. Jesus is the word from God. Okay, think about this. John was writing to a church that was young, uh, a church that was being persecuted within the Roman world. John was writing during a time when lots of false teaching and heresy was on the rise. Uh, we can read in the book of Revelation um, what Jesus has to say to the church in Ephesus around the time John was there and probably pinning this gospel. John's own church was not super healthy. Uh, this was a hard time for the church. The first wave of eyewitnesses to Jesus were passing away. Um, this, the Apostle Paul was on the scene doing all these amazing things, uh, but Christianity was changing fast, uh, and things were moving quick. This was Sometimes we think about the early church as like this golden age when everything was awesome. And you know what? It wasn't. It was hard. It was messy. Jesus is the word from God. Let me put it this way. Um, I think we, 
maybe imagine if we were in John's congregation at Ephesus. And maybe our identity as a congregation, uh, we have lots of pride because we were planted as a congregation by the Apostle Paul and his associates. We have this great story of when we were planted years ago. We've been through hardship as a church, but we've grown, knit together. And we got this new pastor, John. He was one of the apostles. He's with, he was with Jesus. He's incredibly gifted. But things are hard. He's really old. He might die soon. By the way, heresy's on the rise. The world is changing. We don't know if we're going to make it. We don't know how things are going to turn out for Christians. Uh, the emperor is totally pagan. Uh, culture, the out culture, secular, outside culture, outside of the church is just terrible. We're afraid for our kids. We're, we don't know what to do. Imagine you're in that church and you show up to a church prayer meeting. And you're huddled around, you're sitting around, and people start talking about how the church isn't as big as it used to be back in Paul's day when he planted it. People start talking about their fears. People start talking about what's going on in the wider culture. People start asking, where is God in all of this? Where, what's our future for this congregation? What's God's future of false teaching? And what are we going to do? Somebody says, let's pray. So you bow your head. Somebody's praying pouring their heart out, all these things to the Lord. Lord, this is such a hard time for the church. Where are you? What do you have for us? We haven't heard from you. We need you. By the way, does all of this maybe kind of sound familiar? I think we've had prayer meetings like this. Some of our Friday lunch prayer meetings have been like this. Our little church is not so different. Our time is not so different. Anyway, back to the story. Everybody's praying, Lord, we need to hear a word from you. And then in that moment, strangely, somebody's cell phone rings. <laughs> you say, Charlie, it's the first century. There's no phone. Just go with me on this. Somebody's cell phone rings. And you're like, man, who left their cell phone on during a prayer meeting? Unbelievable. And you look over, it's yours. And on the caller ID on the screen, it says, God. And you think, there's no way. God doesn't call on cell phones. I better answer it. So you answer the phone and you say, yes, Lord. And you hear this divine, majestic voice. And he says, son or daughter, I have a word for you. I have a word for the church. It's the answer to your prayer. It's the answer to every question, to every anxiety. It's the answer to this moment. You say, okay, I'm going to put you on speaker. What is it? You hold up the phone, and what does God say? Jesus. Now, I know that's an imaginative analogy, but that's exactly what it means that Jesus is the word from God. We might look around at the state of our church, other churches in Portland, the state of our world, state of our hearts, our families, and we might say, Lord, what do you have to say for yourself? And he has a word, and it's Jesus. 
Jesus is the Logos. He's the meaning behind everything. He's eternal. He was here before all these problems got here. He'll be here long after. He's the agent of creation. He makes new creation in our hearts. He's the one who gives light, who gives us wisdom and understanding. He's the one who brings life, who brings people to faith, who brings churches to health, who renews cities, who renews the whole world. And he's the one that brings us into relationship with the Father. He's the Logos. Think about Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 7. Let me read this for you. It says, God's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. That's significant. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own goodness. Do you know who the him is through the knowledge of him who called us? It's Jesus. God's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Jesus who called us by his own glory and goodness. Everything we need to live a godly life, everything we need to escape from evil, to confront evil, to beat evil, everything we need to be filled with God and participate in the life of God is available through what? Through Bible reading? No. Through a Christian worldview? Now, folks, I got to tell you, I don't even know what that is, but I hear people talking about it, and that's not it. Everything we need for a godly life and for flourishing and, and all of this is, to see God's glory is available through family? No. It's available through the church? No. It's available through education? No. All of these things are good. But none of these things have everything that we need for life and godliness. Not the Bible, not church, not a Christian worldview, whatever that means, not family. No. Only Jesus. Jesus is the word from God. The eternal, right now, life-giving, creative, personal, turn everything upside down, re-knit it, put it back together, and the glorious goodness that looks like God is Jesus. Now, this is really important because we love to go to these other places searching for life. And yes, many times Jesus presents himself through these other means. Of course, we can find Jesus in the scriptures. Of course, we find Jesus in church. 
Of course, we find Jesus in relationship with others. But those things, Bible, church, friends and family, worldview, those things are not Jesus. Only Jesus is Jesus. And only Jesus is God's word. You see it? So that's the first thing. Jesus is the word from God. He doesn't come from our culture. He doesn't come from a commentary. He doesn't come from a podcaster. He doesn't come from some religious elite. He comes from God. Here's the second thing as we start to wrap it up. Jesus is is the word from God, and Jesus is the word for us. From God, for us. Jesus is the word for us. Now, Charlie, that's obvious, but bear with me. He is not God's word that's just spoken into a void. He is not God's word that's just out there hanging around. He is God's word spoken to and for us. Back to that crazy analogy of imagining being in a prayer meeting in Ephesus and God calls on the phone. He says, I have a word, it's Jesus. In that analogy, if this is the, the emphasis here is God calling your cell phone, my cell phone. This is for me, for you, for Hope Presbyterian. For Portland, it is for us. Let me tell you why this is so important that we see it this way. That the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we and we have seen this glory, glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Why is it so important that we see Jesus as the word from God for us? Here's why. You know. I'll, let me let me just let me pick on pastors because that's I can do that because I'm a pastor. Lots of pastors like to give sermons and teachings, podcasts, books about what those who are outside of the church need to do in order to become better people and make the world a better place. Lots of pastors love to rail against. The culture, as if we're not part of the culture, (laughs) but against what people outside of the church need to do, what the government should do, what school leaders should do, uh, what your friends should do, what those people, other people should do in order for our world to be a better place. And we've all heard pastors do I'm I'm guilty of this. But hear John's words. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. Jesus is God's word for us. Yes. He has come for the world, but he has called us, his people, to proclaim him to the world. So he needs to belong to us first. Do you see it? 
Jesus is the logos, the life, the light, the meaning, the reason, the creativity, all of these things from God for us. I, as a pastor, other pastors that you hear need to stop railing about what other people, what those people need to do to make the world a better place. And we need to focus on what we are doing here in our hearts, in our church, in our communities. How are we receiving Jesus as the word of God? He has spoken to us. You see it? Now I'll stop picking on pastors and I'll pick on all of us. I'll pick on our church. Many of us have been thinking about what our church needs to do in order to grow, in order to get to a place of financial sustainability, in order to make an impact on the city. We say, well, if only we did this, if only the church would do that, if only the church would do that. Well, Jesus is the God's answer to the questions our church has. But God's answer is not for our church as some idea floating around in space. It's for us. Wherever you are, look around you. That's Hope Presbyterian Church. It's you and the people you see in that sanctuary or in your living room. And Jesus is God's word for us. God's answer for our church is not some starting a program, uh, doing, you know, tweaking to this, tweaking that. No. We talked about last week. God's answer for our church is Jesus. If we want our church to be healthier, if we want our church to be blessed, if we want to be plugged into the source, we need more Jesus. We don't need more outward religion. We don't need more ecclesiology. We don't need more missiology. We don't need more podcasting. We need Jesus. He's God's word for us. Do you see it? Jesus is God's word from God for us. Now, what good is that word if we don't have ears to hear? And if we don't discipline ourselves to listen? Jesus would say all the time, let him him or her, let those who hear, who have ears to hear, let them hear. In Revelation 3, Jesus says, let those with ears to hear, hear what the Spirit has to say to the churches. You know what the Spirit has to say to the churches? The Word, Jesus. Folks, maybe we need to stop uh, being afraid of the culture. Uh, outside culture. Maybe we need to stop getting lost in our YouTube feeds and our podcasts. Maybe we need to stop being afraid of what's going on in the world and trying to be on the defense. Maybe we need to stop focusing on our outward religion like it's going to help us. Maybe we need to pray. Give ourselves to prayer that God would give us ears to hear his word. That we would hear and receive Jesus. 
not some article, not some celebrity professor, preacher guy, uh, not some opinion. Jesus. You say, Charlie, that's a little vague. Well, yeah, I know it is. And that's why we need to pray about it. The Logos isn't something, as you've heard, that we can just package up and, 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 and it's eternal. It's mysterious. It's this everywhere, everything. But it's a person and we know him and he's for us. And he came into our life, our neighborhood. He died on our cross, rose again from our death so that we would hear him. So that's it. And the application is that let's pray. Let's ask God to give us ears to hear. But here's the hope. Here's the gospel promise. To all who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. Folks, when we hear him, we will hear him, the word, and we will gain everything that he is. Life light, eternity, creativity, reason, meaning. All of these things are ours in Christ Jesus because that's who he is. But would you join me? Let's pray that God would give us ears to hear his word from him to us. Let's pray.